is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. From roommates to co-hosts, this is the BS Sports Show with Brendan Azoff and Stefan Wozner. Your go-to destination for New York hockey and NHL news. And now it's time to drop the puck. Here are your hosts, Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. Welcome to the BS Sports Show, everybody. I'm Brendan Azoff. With me, as always, is Stefan Rosner. And today's show is going to be interesting because we pre-recorded an interview for the first time in a long time. It was a great interview, 40 minutes long, got a lot of topics going. And I know that it started off with a heated uh, talk about the Islanders retro jerseys, which we're going to kick things off with. But you have some strong opinions about it as well. But Stefan, how you doing first and foremost? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Today, honestly, the, the shoulder feels fine. Had physical therapy. They did That's a little awesome. massage in here and there. Felt good to go. Obviously, I'm not jumping back into sports just yet. I got to work my way back. I got to start you know, driving and working first. But all in all, it's been good. I mean, that's great to hear because I know you've been struggling with that. Physical therapy works wonders when I did that for my knee, man. It's amazing how like two or three sessions, all of a sudden your body starts to rejuvenate a little bit quicker. But let's kick things off, right? The Islanders were one of the many teams that released a retro jersey, yet theirs seemed, along with Detroit, which we'll get into later, to be one of the more lackluster releases out of the bunch. Yeah, so I think Spin Chicklets said it best. When you forget to do your homework assignment and you do it last second, that's what this Islanders reverse retro is. They took pretty much their color, their home jersey. They made it a shad bit darker blue. Shad bit darker. There it is for everyone looking. They they changed the stripes around at the bottom, and that's it. So then you have half the fan base going absolutely nuts. They didn't use the fishermen, which if you think that at this point, you're by your, I mean, I, I can't support the fishermen. I never have, never will. But at the same time, it would have been different. And I think the biggest thing for Islander fans is the fact that they have no secondary logo. There's just no secondary logo. You have the Islanders' main logo, and that's it. Other teams, they have that secondary logo that they put on their alternate jerseys. And you just you just don't see that for the Islanders. They had tried the fishermen. It failed miserably. They wore it for two years. Those bad, Those two years... They were in dead last in what was the Atlantic division at the time, dead last in both years. So you can't bring that back. It was a bad time for the organization. So what this does is it pays homage to the 1980 team. Obviously, the Islanders won four consecutive cups. So how, how can you really complain? What can they have done differently? Now, they could have done a lighthouse, an anchor, I don't know, anything. They decide not to. Lemarillo's at the helm. He's a very strict guy, clean cut. That's how he likes to go, and that's the jersey you get. And at the end of the day, they wear them probably three times, three times max, depending on how long the season is. So at the end of the day, at this point, let's forget about this jersey. But at the same time, you look around the league and there are some amazing ones. And you see the Islander fans feel like they were, you know, they didn't get their fair share of this beautiful jersey, what could have been. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, you say they're going to wear them three times, but if they were nicer, they'd probably wear them more. And I think that the the thing that Islanders fans are upset about is their jerseys have always been very not bland, but very straight up. Like there's nothing out of the ordinary. Like we saw the uh, the Ducks one that got released, so cartoonish. I don't necessarily know if I'm a fan of it, but it, it's a new vibe, right? So you're looking at the Islanders and going, how could they make their jersey if they're doing it to this year pop? And it's reverse retro. So yes, they want to mimic what they did in the past, but you want a modern twist. The Rangers Liberty jersey had red sleeves on the bottom and they left those out, which a lot of people are upset about, but it's a modern twist. 
So maybe take that jersey and reverse the color scheme, right? You said you wanted an orange jersey. They could have done that. They could have paid homage to their older ones and, and still twisted it a little bit so that it pops. Because now people are going to want to buy a jersey that's basically just a dyed version of their home jersey right now. I'll go, uh, get, it. I'll go get it. It's in my closet. I, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't make sense why they would just not put a little more effort and creativity into this release. It's tough. I mean, I get why fans are upset at the same time. You know, again, the logo didn't change. I think my favorite one is the ones they wore. I think it was 0506. It was their third alternate. And it was, um, it had the orange stripes on the side or the blue and the stripes. It was really cool looking jersey. Yeah, it was blue stripes, orange jersey. And, you know, they, they didn't do it. And at the same time, it's just, you got to deal with it. There's nothing anyone could do to fix it. This is the jersey you get. You either pay the 200 something bucks or not. For most of us, why on earth would we pay for a jersey that's probably hanging up in our closet? I don't care if they switch the, the colors at the bottom. It doesn't make a difference. It just sucks because you look, some of them came out so, so well. Others, not so much, which we'll get into later. But, you know, it seems like a missed opportunity for fans. Like I talked about this um, later on in the interview, and I'll just say it now is the Islanders fans right now are not are nervous that they're not going to sign Barzal, but it's been an, an iffy offseason where they have no money. They need to move contracts to even sign Barzal. Then they get Barzal and they still have to figure out, okay, let's get a high caliber winger, which is going to be damn near impossible in this market. Let's let's celebrate a nice, beautiful reverse retro jersey to at least take our mind off things. And Adidas and the Islanders pretty much said, now nah, keep paying attention to your issues. That's it. And that's where we're at right now. Yeah. And it, it comes at a time too, where there's nothing going on in the hockey world, right? Usually in November, we're in, we're approaching the seventh week of the season right now. People are in full swing. This wouldn't be a topic of discussion, but with nothing going on, a lot of fans were looking forward to these releases. They were hoping that they were popping. I know Rangers fans have been talking for a while about getting a Liberty Jersey back. So we were all anticipating it. And it, it would have been nice for the Islanders fan base to have something to go. Okay. This is, I'm looking forward to seeing this on the ice next year. But instead, they kind of transition that to, all right, well, we got more of the old, uh, and it's a little ridiculous at this point. Hopefully, the product's good on the ice. So instead of that excitement and how it's, okay, we need to, you're still focused on the problems that are at hand instead of a brief break from that and a little bit of a separation from the anxiety with excitement. I mean, it's 2020. so That's true, too. I mean, I almost get the crappy jerseys, deal with it, but. At least hockey, Brendan, hockey should be returning sooner than we did expect. We were hearing, you know, February. Then we're hearing, okay, the second week of January. Now we're hearing January 1st. So this has been some interesting news coming out of the league. Yeah, so, I mean, this ties into a little bit of everything. But the, the January 1st deadline seemed unrealistic, right? I mean, we're looking at everything going on in the world. There's been surges in numerous states. The Canadian bo American border still closed. Yet the NBA came out and they solidified a Christmas Day start. They have a trade deadline coming in the next week. So they're kind of kicking into a gear of we're going to restart our season, which puts a lot of pressure on the NHL. We saw in the beginning of the return to play format over the summer that once one league said we're coming back this date, every league followed because they know that they have to make that competitive market. They need to make some money back. So now we're looking at the NHL who they don't necessarily have a commitment yet on, on a, a secured return to play policy which I think is BS at this point because they've been talking so often. But January 1st is still holding true, and they're still holding on to that hope for, I don't necessarily know about an 82-game season, but at least a January 1st start date. I mean, you look at the NBA, and they've been dealing with this the same amount of time the uh, NHL has. And for them, they have one easier task, which is the fact they only have one Canada team, yep. Toronto Raptors. And I did some research because I'm that kind of guy. And 
they were talking about playing in Kansas City because there originally was a basketball team there. They maybe you know go back there for a little bit, but now they the last week or so they've been touring all the um, facilities in Tampa or around Florida area, so potentially to play there. So realistically, they don't have an answer for the Raptors yet, but they're they're gonna find a place for them to play again. It's not a huge issue because they have one team. If they have the bounce around different arenas, it's not like concerts are going on. Yep. They have those arenas, and right now with the NHL not scheduled and you know anything yet, they could use the NHL arenas too. So it'll be very interesting to see what the NBA does. But like you said, the NBA has a plan. They're starting at this date. It has been agreed upon. So at the same time, they might have some question marks, but it's an agreed upon date. I think the NHL has to say, listen, we are starting January 1st. Commit to that, then work around it. Obviously, the easiest thing to do is have a Canadian division. That seems to be the easiest. Obviously, you have teams all across Canada, which implies traveling and whatnot. But again, you're not leaving the country. And the biggest problem is entering the country. So if you have that completely, which you're going to have to, because nobody can enter from the United States, the teams can't, you're set. So I think if they commit to a January 1st start, all Canada division, go from there. But right now, the, having the question marks in the air is not making fans feel happy about, okay, this is actually going to happen. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that if fans are not going to be allowed into these home arenas, which to me is a little ridiculous, we've seen, I know football's outside, baseball is outside, but if you can get these guys with masks sitting, you know, every four or five seats apart, every other row, I don't see a reason why you can't have some fans, at least in attendance, uh, especially if a vaccine winds up coming out. But uh, if there's no fans allowed, right, then the geographic realignment seems like the next best thing because not only do you prevent the problems that would arise with travel, but you're making all these rivalries so prevalent. So now if me and you who are Rangers and Islanders fans are sitting at home, not allowed to go to the games, the next best thing is our two favorite teams are going to be playing against each other now eight times. And we're going to be amped up for every single one of those meetings. So I think that if fans are not allowed, the money that they're going to have to make is going to have to come from marketing and TV rights and all those types of things. The best way to get your viewership through the roof is to increase the games that people want to tune into, which of course are the rivalry games. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I can't wait. If that's the case and the Islanders and Rangers play eight times, I'm probably going to lose a lot of money, probably, <laughs> depending on how it goes. But at the same time, you look at it and, you know, Boston. Boston would be in the Metro. Yeah. For the Islanders over the last two years, they are one in five against the Bruins. I mean, the Bruins are one of the best teams in the league. Clearly, they won the Presidents this year. They didn't do so well because Tuka Rast decided to stay home for good reasons. But you look at, you look at how it works and – it just, I think it makes the Metro division harder. You look around the, the different uh, divisions and see, okay, who's moving here, who's moving there. It seemed like the Metro, they could have made the Metro a little easier and instead they ramped it up and made it probably the hardest it's ever been. Well, I, it's tough because the two teams that could be taken out, right? We look at Columbus, which is probably one of the ones that gets removed and they're not necessarily a juggernaut, but we know the goaltending tandem. We know how hard they play, how well they're coached. So they're always a thorn in everyone's side in that division. You replace them with Buffalo say, so not really an upgrade in competition there, but then Boston comes in and is replacing either Carolina or Pittsburgh yet to be determined. And that becomes, Oh my God. Cause you know that they're going to be in the top three, right? They could have a terrible regular season, but the way that, the amount of talent that they have on that roster and the net the defense and offense they just find a way to get it done to get into the postseason. So you know they're going to be there, which means you're really fighting for four spots among the remaining six teams. You're talking and, about the Penguins? No, I'm, t- I'm talking about the Bruins now. Like oh, yeah. The Bruins replacing those teams. Yeah. If the Penguins wind up staying and Carolina moves, and then you have the Pittsburgh Penguins and Boston Bruins, uh, I mean, it's a nightmare. Because not only are you putting the amount of talent, like you're increasing that, but the amount of teams in that division that are already good enough to make it to the postseason, now you're only playing each other. 
it's going to be you don't know what's going to happen because on paper it should be the capitals bruins flyers and then two other teams right on paper but the islanders playing the rangers the rangers somehow go six and two or the islanders go six and two in that matchup you're putting the other person completely outside looking in and if the islanders can go six and two against the pittsburgh penguins say and they're still in division now pittsburgh is going to have to beat everybody else up to make it so it's so intriguing with how these rivalries are going to affect the eventual postseason standings. And I wouldn't be surprised if they went to a little more of an extended postseason as well. Obviously fans have zero say in the alignment, but imagine that Philly and Pittsburgh didn't get to play each other at all this season. That's, I mean, we know why, because you look at Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh's on right there on the border, right? Yep. Pittsburgh's on the border. Philly's not. So it makes it interesting because that whole fan base loses a rivalry unless it goes to the playoffs and they magically meet. But at the same time, like you said, Islanders and Rangers, if one team dominates, any team dominates a series against a certain team, that team's going to be at the bottom. But you, you talked about it too, is a team like Buffalo comes into the Metro, right? While there should be at the bottom, well, they'll start off hot and should be at the bottom. We're going to see very similar things that we saw in baseball where every series, every game matters so much more. Obviously, less games is one thing, but now you're playing against rivalry. Those take a lot out of you. In baseball, yes, everybody in, let's say the ALEs, everybody's a rival. But in hockey, it's different. Ranger Islander game, you it's not just another game. You put a lot of time and energy in for if it's condensed where you have, let's say they're playing 60 games and they're playing you know, a, punch, a couple of back-to-backs in a short amount of time, energy level is going to be low. These are going to take a lot out of these players. And I'll see how that impacts the other matchups where like, all right, the Islanders are playing the Rangers uh, Monday, Wednesday, then they play Thursday, Buffalo. Well, clearly the Islanders are going to want to focus on the Ranger, two Ranger games, and then Buffalo is Buffalo. But you can't, you know, you can't, every team in the NHL could beat any team any single night. So I'm going to, Buffalo is going to be interesting to see because, again, you're going to have to start off hot. If you start off slow, Pittsburgh's one of those teams that starts off slow and then towards the end of the season turns it up and gets in there. They find a way every time. You're not, if that happens this year and teams struggle out of the gate significantly, it's going to take a lot and then some to get into this playoff. Yeah, say it's a 60 game season. Let's go with the whole numbers because whole numbers to me are are so much better than those numbers that make you want to do decimal points and all that type of stuff. But if it's 60 games and there's eight teams in your division, that means you have seven games, right? Like you're playing each opponent, the other seven opponents eight times, right? That gets to 56, if my math is correct. And then you play, so you're, there's four teams are going to be playing nine times, which is crazy. So now not only is it rivalry games that you're playing either eight or nine times against that opponent, that, that toll that it takes, because unlike baseball, like you said, baseball rivalries are great. The Yankees, Red Sox rivalry is phenomenal. Pitchers are throwing at batters, blah, blah, blah. But nine times against a rival in hockey means that's nine times you're going to go into a corner and get absolutely popped. That's nine times going up the zone. Somebody's going to have a body on you and you're going to have to do it. That's nine times where you're diving to block every single shot and getting those welts on your legs and, and those types of pains that you usually get over 82 games sporadically. You're now doing every single game that you play. And that's going to take a, a toll on every single team. So I think that whoever comes out on top this year, if they wind up going with this format where you're playing these rivals like that, that might be the hardest championship to win because the, the you're not used to playing the, the Rangers play the Islanders, what, four times last year? You, now you're going to double that against every single one of their rivals? That, that's that's absurd. Well, I'll tell you right now, it's going to be very exciting. I hope it happens. At the same time, I wish they wouldn't do realignments just because, you know, I like how it is already now. I like the way they set it up. I think you probably you might see an expanded playoffs again if you do the realignment just because I don't know how they want to do it. Again, though, the most important thing, though, is Pick a date you're starting. Say you're starting January 1st and work around everything you have to work around. 
Yeah, I mean, I agree. But let's move on to some Florida Panthers news, shall we? The Florida Panthers named Brett Peterson assistant GM, and he becomes the first black assistant GM in the NHL. It's a truly an honor, but this is not something that the Florida Panthers just did out of the kindness of their heart. This is a man that truly deserves this role. Yeah, this is a guy that played for BC. He graduated in 04. He won a championship in 01 against North Dakota. He's a defenseman. Once he retired from professional hockey in 09, he joined the ACME Acme Group. It's a sport agency owned by Bill Zito, the now the newly appointed general manager of the Florida Panthers. So there's a connection there. This guy is highly qualified for this position, and he makes history. And this is not the first time we're seeing Florida make history. The Miami yep. Marlins. Brendan, what did the Miami Marlins do this week? They hired Kim Ng, which the first female GM in baseball and all sports. And I think it's awesome, right? You're seeing the diversity start to increase throughout these leagues. And it's not people that are just getting hired because of their gender or ethnicity or race. It's they're qualified people. And now we're starting to give them all opportunities. And I think that what people don't people don't want to see somebody hire somebody who's a female just for the sake of hiring them because they are a female and it looks good for their organization. They want to see somebody who's qualified to get hired and deserves that role get hired, which is the case with both of these people here. And I fully expect them to be great at their jobs for, for Bill Peterson. Obviously he's familiar with Bill Zito, right? So they're uh, for Brett Peterson, excuse me. He's familiar with Bill Zito and they're going to have a chemistry together, which should help the Florida Panthers in the long run. And that's a team that has talent every year and somehow falls just a little bit short. So maybe these two can create a new dynamic duo and, and get them to that next level. Completely agree. Congratulations to Brett Peterson. So we'll move on quickly, though. There is some woman named Noelle Needham who is making strides to become the first female general manager in NHL history. She was a top American recruit at the age of 15, but she dealt with injuries like most people. She tore ACL, MCL, PCL, dislocated her kneecap. The last time I remember hearing someone do that was Dustin Keller on the Jets. Oh, yeah. That's that was all, nasty. That all happens at once, too. So she has been the assistant GM with the uh, Chicago Steel, the USHL team. And her general manager pretty much said she doesn't think, he doesn't think, excuse me, that this, there's no limit for what she can do. He solely believed that she can become the first general manager in NHL history. Unfortunately, right now, there are no jobs opened, but she's definitely inclined to do so. And I wouldn't be shocked if she does get that chance when a spot opens up. Well, this is exactly what we were just talking about. She's qualified, right? Obviously, her bosses have seen what she can do. She continues to rise, and she's familiar with the game she played. And I think that if there is an opening, I wouldn't be surprised now with the push for you know some diversity in the league that we see her get an opportunity. And if she has a good interview, why shouldn't she get the job, right? Obviously, when you go into these interview process, you got to lay out what your plan is, how you plan on getting these guys to the next level, the draft situation. For a GM role, there's a ton of stuff that goes into it. So it's not easy to get. And we see how many guys wind up interviewing for these jobs. Only one person's going to get it. There's only 31 going to be 32 GMs in the league. So it's a very hard role to get. But I, I would expect her to start getting interviews soon. Yeah. And then, Brendan, on to you. Henrik Lundqvist made some comments. Oh, I. And how first, happy are you right now? First, I'm ecstatic. Say the comment and then go into how you feel as a Ranger fan. All right, so the comment, which was courtesy of Forever Blue Shirts, they translated an article by Johan Rielander of the Goatsberg Posten and from Sweden. So it was in Sweden, and, and th this site does a great job with their translations and articles. If you're a Rangers fan, be sure to check them out. But he said, but I'll be a part of the Rangers for the rest of my life in one way or another. Both I and the Rangers have been clear about that. That's how it will be. And in essence, when he's done and he hangs up those skates, there will be an, an opening for him, whether it's player development, goaltending coach, 
however they see fit, which I love because I was saying as soon as he was dealt or let go, of, I should say, this guy has to come back, right? I, I don't care if he wins a ring somewhere else. I really hope he does. But if he comes back and is a coach and the Rangers win a Stanley Cup while he's a coach and he gets on that float, not even as a player, but gets to lift that cup in front of all the people that are Rangers fans in the streets of NYC, it's going to mean the same no matter what, whether he was in goal or he was a coach. And I, I would be ecstatic if he came back. And Benoit Allaire is a phenomenal goaltending coach. If you could add Lundqvist's intuition and wisdom to that group and have a little bit of a dynamic duo before Benoit Allaire winds up going, these goalies are going to start to develop, especially with the talent they have right now in Shesterkin and Georgiev. I'm going, to make, I'm going to make a bold statement here. And just because of Lundqvist's style of play, I think he would be definitely a help coaching, whatever the case may be. But also, I think in upper management, just for the factor that he plays a very unique style of goaltending that I don't know if many people want to be teaching goalies nowadays. Yep. He, played, he played a way that suited him, back in his crease, relying on rebound controls. Obviously, that took a toll on his career. I'm not saying that he would have played more if he didn't have to do that, but at the same time, making those crazy saves he had to make, all that kind of stuff didn't help with the Rangers' defense in front of him. But do you think that maybe that's why they would might not have him as a goaltender coach and make go into upper management? Oh, 100%. And first of all, his his workout ethic, uh, everyone talks about. Every backup that's ever played with him say they're driven to work harder because of what he does. So it might not be goalie coach. It might be player development, teaching these younger guys how to get there. But you think somebody like Lundqvist may know what he wants in front of him on a defensive scheme because of how many shots he was forced to save and face year in and year out for these guys. So he might move towards that front office and look at these guys and say, okay, we got these two guys on defense I want to keep. These two can be expendable and we got to bring in this person because somebody that's been around the league, seen the trends, seen it from a goaltender perspective, which is such a unique perspective, he might know a thing or two about what he wants on a defensive uh, system. And this is where I think Martin Brodeur and the, and the Devils really messed up. Brodeur was traded to the Blues. He wanted a chance to you know, win again and play. It did not go well there. He retires and goes into management with them. He has not been – I've not heard anything about him going back to the Devils to be a goalie coach, all that kind of stuff. And when he was dealt to St. Louis, I said, you know what? He should have just retired. He should have retired, joined the Devils, and done exactly what Lundqvist is saying right now. Obviously, Lundqvist has a little more left. He's not as old as Bordeaux, I don't think. So this is an awesome thing to see, do, especially even as an Islander fan, is because you value you value loyalty. Yep. And I don't, you know, in other sports, that loyalty is not there. In hockey, it truly is. And I think a guy like Lundqvist, to make that comment now, when he's going to another team, a division rival in the Capitals, someone that's played the Rangers numerous times, and they've had that rivalry in the playoffs, all that. To say, yeah, I'm going to play this year with the Capitals, and you know, obviously we'll see where it goes. But at one point or another, I'm going to be back with the Rangers, and I think that is such an exciting thing for not just Ranger fans, but hockey in general. Yeah, it really is. And Brodeur is with the Devils now. He's in there. He's like an executive VP of their operations. I, I saw him at the draft making those selections. So he's in their front office, which we just talked about might be where Lundqvist winds up going up, but he's not a goalie coach there. So it's interesting to see that these goaltenders, they, they're smart. Right. Some some of them are a little loopy like yourself, where they have some weird things they do pregame and they sit alone and look in their pads. And it's a tough decision, a tough position. But at the end of the day, they know the game. They know tendencies. And and that's how you can pick better players and why they might be suited for front office positions. Yeah. Well, thank God he left St. Louis because, again, not a good not a good fit at all. No. Glad he's with the Devils organization because that's where that's where he made his legacy. And for Lundqvist, he will always even if he went to uh, cup with the Capitals. He'll always be a New York Ranger, and 
that's all you could say at this point. Yeah, he's destined to come back, and at, at least he's confirmed his interest. And I've always said I wanted that to be amicable, right? That departure had to be amicable because if you have Lundqvist leave and there's animosity, it just destroys Rangers fans like myself who grew up watching him play. So I, I'm glad that it was amicable, and now that there's going to be a reunion eventually, not as a player, but as a member of their front office or coaching staff, is it's really remarkable, and I look forward to seeing that. Stay with us after this commercial break. We're going to talk about the retro jerseys and what's happened this day in hockey history. You don't want to miss that, and don't go anywhere. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the BS Sports Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the BS Sports Show, everybody. Brendan and Stefan with you. And we're going to get into some this day in hockey history, some NHL Rewind. And obviously, we, we love this part of it because it's so crazy how many things wind up happening on the days that we have our shows. But there was one thing in particular today that we're going to get to in a oh, second yeah. that stood out to us because we were there live and we're going to have our friend call in who was betting on that game and the roller coaster of emotions that he went on. But we'll start things off with in 1932, the Red Wings showed up in Montreal to play the Canadians and both teams had red jerseys on. So you would never see anything like that happen today, but the Montreal Canadiens were the home team, forced the Red Wings to wear some white pullovers and the Red Wings wound up losing one to nothing because they couldn't really skate in those pullovers. pullovers. reverse retros? Uh, they might have been if they were the Islanders. And the Detroit's retros are pretty terrible too, but d- d- they right. are. 1973, Bobby Orr sets NHL record in assists for a defenseman with 456 after recording four in an eight nothing win against the Red Wings. He did it in just 458 games. That's kind of crazy. I mean, we talked about this actually last week. How he retired at 31, and the amount of talent that he had and what he could have done of his career was a little longer, but. That amount of games to get that many assists as a defenseman, you had to be pretty good at what you did. You probably would have won the Norris. I, I mean, if that was around back then, he, he definitely did. And he, he's still regarded as one of the best to ever do it as a defenseman. Yeah, I mean, that's 456 assists in 458 games. I mean, that's absurd. And like these weren't times back then where it was offense, offense, offense. Like there was a lot more body contact, a lot more penalties that are now penalties that weren't called back then. So his maneuverability had to be top-notch, but that's also why at 31, his knees were shot. If he could do that, he'd be a top draft choice in fantasy every single year. Oh, Number mean, one if, overall, if you're getting, if you're <laughs> two games shy of pronounced being an assist per game player as a defenseman. Yep. And that's not even counting goals. Yep. Not even counting goals. 1979, Gretzky and Howe face off for the first time in their careers in Gretzky's rookie season. And Howe was 50 years old. Whalers won four, nothing and Howe got an assist. I when I saw this, right, first of all, the rookie versus a fifty year old is the first time they're facing off is mind boggling. But then the fact that Gordy Howe won this first matchup and recorded an assist at fifty just shows how Mr. Hockey was still getting it done after that's probably his fourth now decade of playing. It just unreal. He's older than Crosby's dad, probably. Yeah, I mean, he's still one of the only he's the only player to play with his sons. Like it just the the amount of stuff that he accomplished in his career. It won't ever be accomplished again in any sport just because no one's allowed to play that long anymore. When's the next Howe coming into the league? The next type of player like Gordy Howe or the next player who's playing for 50 years? I know anyone related to him. Oh, I, I don't know if they are anymore. <laughs> uh, we gotta, hopefully somebody comes around. I hope we'll see a little Crosby one day. 
I mean, you're going to get to that point, right? It's, uh, whenever you have a dad in the league or a brother, uh, your chances increase because that competition in that household is through the roof. We could have like eight Kachucks in the league. I mean, <laughs> they, they have families like that, right? The Bowmans are all in front offices, and they don't necessarily play, but they're dominating the GM's position. Wasn't Bobby Holik like had three or four brothers? Two or three brothers? Oh, uh, the Hull, Bobby Hull. No, no, Holik though had brothers too. Uh, I don't know that. I know that the Hulls were huge. yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, move on to uh, 1984. The Islanders beat the Rangers 10-4. Mike Boss, he has his 32nd hat trick, tying in with Philip Esposito for the record. I guarantee there was free chili that night. I'm so happy I wasn't born in 1984 to watch that game. <laughs> you would have turned off your uh, black and white television. Listen, I mean, 10-4 okay. is a, is a butt-thumping right there. Yeah, they, that's, that's a killer. They And that's a rivalry game. I mean... Granted, back the, what was that at the start of the Islanders' dominance? When, when did they go on that? Seventy. This was 1984. Is after. After. So they still had some of those guys that were around, and I don't know how the Rangers were back then either. But obviously not what not good because they lost 10-4. Yeah. No, that's that's brutal. And at the same time, though, you, we I don't think we've seen a an ass beating like that probably quite quite some time the next one brendan you could get going i'll make sure uh, i get our friend michael miller to call in <laughs> so in 2018 uh stefan and i playing hockey happened to be by philadelphia for a weekend of games and we decided to go to wells fargo center watch the tampa lightning play the philadelphia flyers and the lightning were up 5-1 with 10 minutes left to go in the third period flyers fans were getting angry it was an absolute blowout didn't look like they had anything going and before you know it it's five five going into ot and it's one of i think six times that a team has come back from four goals or more down with with 10 minutes to go in the game and they did it and that place was absolute bonkers going crazy after that final tying goal and of course it was all for nothing when i think anthony sorelli was the one that wound up potting the ot winner in tampa bay still won that game despite blowing the four goal lead and i don't remember what miller had i hope he comes on but he had bet on that game and it thought, he thought it was over. He thought his, you know, bet lost. And I think he might have bet the Flyers. And then the Flyers come all the way back. You see this kid start going crazy. And next thing you know, he's disappointed again in OT. So as we wait for him to call him, which he should be calling in any second, I'm pretty sure he had the over and the Flyers. So while yeah. the over hit, clearly, he gets absolutely <laughs> upset. And I hopefully he calls in right now and we'll get his reaction. But it's so interesting that magically on this date, here he is. He's calling in. Let me know if you can hear him, Brendan. All right. Miller, can you hear me? Mike? Stephen, how Mike, you, you have to talk into your phone. <laughs> hello, hello. What's up, Miller? Can you guys hear me? I can hear him. Can you hear him, Stefan? I can't hear him, but... Uh, if, if... I can hear Stefan and you. All right, can... I can hear both of you. Can you hear Brendan? Yep, we're good to go, so... All right, Miller, let's kick it off. So this is our, our hockey buddy, Mike Miller, who was on that trip with us. And Miller, we already went over your bet. You threw, if I'm not mistaken, you threw the over in this game and the Flyers. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> together, together. You could, together in a parlay. Do you remember how much you threw? I think I might have thrown somewhere around 40 bucks, somewhere in that range, you know? So what was the payout, you think? 40 to win, to win like 70. Some, somewhere around there. All right, so so the Flyers are down by a lot. What's going through your mind? Well, it was 5-1, uh, and I'm sitting there with you guys, obviously, and 
pretty much everyone on our hockey team is heckling me because my bet looks quite disastrous at the time. Uh, 5-1 is not a not a slight lead by any means. And suddenly the Flyers score a couple goals. Next thing you know, we get a tight game. Next thing you know, Wayne Simmons, the Wayne train, is sitting on his back in front of the net, tying up the game 5-5. And uh, we're going to overtime. So feeling like very optimistic after the five-one comeback, obviously. I think optimistic's a a lower word than what you were, because I remember you jumped. You were going as the comeback was happening, as this emotion roller coaster is getting to the top before it drops. You are going nuts because you're like, okay, I'm out forty bucks. Now your mind's yeah. now your mind's thinking I'm walking away with money, and you all can laugh as much as you want because this is the greatest day. And then overtime happens. Yeah, overtime happens. Of course, you know, the lightning come down, uh, two-on-one. And I believe it was uh, Sorelli who buried the overtime winner. Yep. And, uh, you know, my money right out the door. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually sitting next to Miller and when that goal went in. And he wasn't even pissed off. I think that's the – like, he was just, wow, that just happened. But he was like a diehard Flyers fan for that third period, the jumping up and down every time somebody scored. I remember Gritty was walking up and down the aisles. That was Gritty's first year there. So, good, good season. Yeah, I was very excited uh, for every goal just because we were at the game. And obviously now, you know, you can't go to any games. So yep. just it was so nice to be at the game and enjoy the moments uh, and almost win money. But obviously not the case, unfortunately. All right. On a scale of one but, uh, to on a scale of one to ten, how good were the Philly cheesesteaks that you had? You had two of them that day, right? Yeah, I had two Philly cheesesteaks that day. Um, I was feeling pretty stressed, obviously, in the third period. So I decided to get another. They were quite delicious. I definitely recommend going to the uh, Wells Fargo Center and picking up a nice Philly cheesesteak when you're there. Well, maybe not two because <laughs> Well, I was going to say, too, if you had won the money, you would have been fine. But you probably spent $30 on two Philly cheesesteaks. <laughs> yeah, I definitely spent like at least $30. That's not including the, the amount of beer that you probably had. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trying to cover my my uh my expenses with the bet but you know sometimes it doesn't work out that way so if you have, if you have a gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLERS <laughs> you're good Miller Miller yeah. thank you so much for calling in that was, that was definitely a, a great couple of minutes to talk to you and uh hopefully your betting is going a lot better than it was that day yeah well actually I was just uh I just watched a nice tennis bet I'm big into tennis <laughs> now yeah and I, I just watched Sitsipas uh, Rublev. They battled it out. Very tight match. It just happened. So I'm going to check out the Nito ATP finals. It's going on in London. Top eight tennis players in the world. Did you win your bet? I did. I did. Well, congratulations, well, man. I'll take your word for that being a good match. <laughs> well, here you heard it here. Bet on some ATP tennis. Miller, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, good luck on the rest of the show, boys. Peace out. See ya. Oh, what a great kid. What a guy. That is, that's just hysterical that he actually remembers that because I don't remember what I ate for breakfast yesterday. Yeah. And he remembers the score, who scored the game. He remembers Wayne Simmons being on his on his back. I don't remember <laughs> any of that. All I remember is his excitement, throwing food, trying to get a picture. He kept screaming for gritty. Yep. I remember that, and uh, that's got to be tough. Though I mean, we had it the other day, Brendan. Me and you both been on the Bills. 
I, I really don't want to relive that experience because three guys on DeAndre Hopkins, he comes down with it. But whatever, we'll move on to the speed skate because there's a lot to unpack in these last 14 minutes for our commercial break that uh, there, there was a lot of great jerseys. And I was actually pleasantly surprised with how some of these turned out, The how some teams decided to really pay homage to their, their older, older teams that weren't necessarily under the same name, a.k.a. the Avalanche, the Nordiques. But there was also some bad ones, as we touched on already with the Islanders and Red Wings. And let's get into it. So, Stefan, I'm going to toss it to you. We're going to start with your top five retro jerseys that were released yesterday. yesterday. Yep. So let's look at this list, shall we? We'll start from five to one. So Capitals jersey to me, again, you know, I'm a big red guy. It just looks so clean. That's their old logo in the middle, which is awesome. That's the old font too. I remember Ovechkin when he scored that crazy goal on his. Yep. He was wearing that jersey, that font jersey. Excuse me. Love they did red, white, and blue. You can't go wrong with America's colors. Number four, Oilers. This is what I wanted the Islanders to do: take a white jersey. It's not well; they're away now. So no, for that one or three games you play this year, you make yourself the white jersey as home and the other team's away or you wear it on the road. There's no fans. It's not like you have to cater to the fans seeing it. That's what they usually do. It's you want the fans to be in the building when they see it. White jersey. It's very clean and it's just professional. It's basic, but the color patterns, they just reverse their jersey color. Love it. Love it to death. Number three, how can you go wrong with the Whalers jerseys? I don't, Carolina's doing such a phenomenal job as a franchise. I'm all for the storm surge. I know Don Cherry is not, (laughs) <laughs> but I don't care. So the things they do is awesome. The Whalers paying homage to that, that team, that franchise is awesome. The logo is beautiful. I love what they did with the gray. So they could have gone with dark or white, but I like the gray looks perfect on that Jersey to Minnesota. I saw a lot of uh, Minnesota getting a lot of heat for this and saying, well, this is not really the Minnesota's, uh, you know, history. This is more the Dallas stars history. No, this is gorgeous. And I'm not a huge green fan. And this is just the way they did it is taking the their regular logo and just putting the Minnesota North Stars colors on it. I think it looks perfect. I don't think they could have done a better job. Love it. Number one. So the Nordiques moved to Colorado in, I think, 1995. And the Avalanche colors, we already know what those colors are. But having that, the Nordiques logo with the purple and the logo, I think it just looks so beautiful. And again, it, that's an historic jersey. Obviously, there's no team in Quebec since they've moved, and I think it's awesome to see. I don't know how Nordique fans feel about it. They have to, I think, appreciate it. Obviously, yep. they're not happy with Colorado that they took their team away, but at the same time, they might want to wear those for every time they're away. I mean, those are beautiful, and Colorado has a great – they're alternate. I don't like their regular logos. They're alternate with the C, and this one, if they made that a home and away, uh, so good. Yeah, I mean – the Capitals one makes me think American League through the legs because that's the the bird that they had when he did that. And that jersey is it's awesome. I, I like the design on the bottom too. Really clean. The Whalers one, the Carolina Hurricanes already have the green one as their alternate. So you're kind of going back to that well, and you can't go wrong. Like you said, that jersey's awesome. And I was really pleasantly surprised with the Wild on that color scheme. Is re- we had talked about their color scheme being a problem, and like where's that red from? All this is awesome. Like this color scheme is so much better. So, I honestly, for most of these, I want to see what the alternate is for their way. Like if Minnesota Wild went with a yellow, let's say they went with that color green jersey with a yellow and reverse the, uh, it would probably be look fantastic. So I tried to keep my list a little different. My number one's the same because that Nordiques one's gorgeous, but my list is still subject to change because I don't like to really rank jerseys until I see them on the ice. I feel like once they hit that ice, some jerseys look better than others. Like, 
Uh, I mean, the Red Wings is all white, and we both don't really like that. But when it hits the ice, it could be nice, right? There's still that potential. I doubt it, but we'll see. So my number one, obviously the Nordiques one, just classic logo. Nordiques has always been one of my favorite jerseys, and they did a great job. The colors look awesome. Uh, there's hats off to Colorado and Adidas for that one. Number two, I know there's very mixed feelings about this, but the Coyotes jersey, I love the Kachina. Now the one with just the head, the bottom of the jersey and the orange with the moon. I think it's phenomenal. I think this one's going to be the most mainstream one of all of them. I think you're going to see people that aren't even hockey fans wearing it. So hats off to them. This this could be one of those pieces that gets hockey a little more mainstream just because people go, where's that from? It's from the NHL. The number three, the Flames did a great job. They went back to their old days. This logo is f- just really cool looking in the color scheme. You can't go wrong with black, red, and and that fiery look. So I really like that. I think that Calgary is going to look awesome on the ice with that, and it's going to offset their all red and yellow look consistently. Number four is one of my favorite jerseys of all time. I had the first Liberty jersey. I loved it. They didn't go with the red sleeves, which I'm kind of a little peeved about, but at the same time, it's an awesome jersey, and it's very clean, and I think this will pop on the ice. They actually showed Zabanajad on uh, the Rangers' Twitter account, like a made graphic with the jersey on, and it looks really nice, like the full uniform. And number five, I was going to use the Capitals or the Kings, but I, last second I saw the Sharks one, and I said, you know what? I really like the sleeves on it. The Sharks logo has always been one of my favorite, and the gray with the teal, I kind of like it. And I know you weren't as much of a fan of it as me, but – that Sharks one, I feel like once it hits the ice, could be really clean, especially if they do the socks the right way. That'll bring it all together. Teal just makes me think of fishermen. It makes me want to throw something off a building. Oh, so, he's got PTSD uh, from that. <laughs> honestly, at that time, I was too young. I wasn't really watching it. But um, you look at the San Jose's, and some of these look like they could be really cool sweatshirts, like something that you could wear around. Like San Jose's look like it would be a really cool sweatshirt. Some of these look like really good jerseys. Coyotes, I wasn't too fond of, but now looking at it and thinking about it on the ice, and okay, I like it. I didn't actually really notice the bottom. It's cool. The Flames one, there's one thing about the Flames one I'll get into is that's the same Vancouver Canucks color and stripe at the bottom when the Canucks are yes. old jersey. So at first glance, I was like, oh, the Canucks doing something weird here. It's the Flames. Obviously, I got that from the flame coming out of the nose, but it's still cool. If Vancouver had went with a similar thing, if they went with that color scheme, it would have been a little confusing. Maybe they've talked about it, which I would hope Adidas would have talked about it. And the Rangers, you guys wanted that Liberty. You got it. I think it would have been cooler with the red, you know, where the red ends on the stripe and continue going down. Yep. But at the same time, your fan base got what they wanted. So some fan bases didn't. No, so, uh, <laughs> we know. And I mean, if you look at the Coyotes one, right, the bottom, you got the cactuses, like the desert with the moon. I think it's just really cool. And the part of the attractions of the Coyotes, because we know that their fan base is in and out. We know that their teams hasn't been consistent, but they've always had these unique jerseys. And we've seen the Kachina make a big comeback. That was the only one they wore when they were home in the postseason. And now they have this to add to it. And it's just unique colors, unique logos. Uh, it's it's one of the only teams in the league that isn't as bland as you would see. Like we saw the Islanders like consistency. The Rangers very rarely stray from that, right? I mean, the Sharks... They have an alternate, but it's still their regular logo. So teams in the NHL are very old-fashioned. I like the fact that Coyotes aren't. Well, I agree. Let's move on to ones we, we don't like, Brendan. I'll start. Uh, number three, the Islander ones. I mean, I don't hate the jersey because that's their home jersey. So if I were to say I don't like it, then I'm saying I don't like their regular jersey. I like their jersey. It's a beautiful-looking jersey. This is nothing different. I was very confused of where the Jets were going. 
with the gray because you know you look at their jersey the logo's cool the logo's great and they went back to their old logo a couple of years ago oh no when they moved to winnipeg excuse me from the thrashers they had winnipeg jets what was it the plane and they went back to this one yep so this is a great logo i just don't i don't where are you getting the gray from again this is one of those it looks like a sweatshirt looks like it would be a nice cool sweatshirt and to me it doesn't do much and for detroit it looks like those practice jerseys they wear where they set up the team. One's wearing red, one's blue, one's white. That's like what they would wear for the white ones. And I don't – they didn't do a thing. Like I, the Islanders at least switched two things around. But this – you want to call bland. This jersey is bland. They had what, a gray stripe, so that's great. People that are color challenged are just going to see white and black. I mean, I don't, I don't see what the big deal is here. And for a Detroit team – they really could have used a nice looking jersey to, to get rid of the fact that they just they just signed a ton of veterans are probably going to be a mediocre team yet again. No, as this isn't it, and it's been such a good off season for yep. Detroit to get back to just being respected. I mean, they didn't score forty, they didn't register forty points last year to just be respected, and they said, "Nah, we'll just you know we said the Islanders wait till the last minute to do their homework. We're just not even going to do our homework." Yeah, I mean, listen, we have the same three, just in a different order, and. I think the Islanders one is the worst just because of how much it, it's their home jersey just tie-dyed. And uh, I, I don't understand the lack of creativity. Like, just try to make a little more ingenuity with your product. The Red Wings, I agree, it's very bland. And their Winter Classic one a couple of years ago was the same exact jersey, but it was it had red and white on the bottom. And I don't know if it was talked about that they didn't want that to be the same type of jersey, but I would have rather them just reprinted the winter classic one then have a gray stripe like there's no gray in their logo uh whatever it's a real hit and then the winnipeg jets i feel like they had so many other options that they could have gone to i put up their blue alternate which they used for the uh heritage classic the one that i really liked with the blue red and white and it had the jets like kind of like that but the where'd the gray come from it's exactly what i said like uh, to me their logos blue red and white no gray and I understand some teams wanted to offset it, but go with what looks nice. Like everyone loves those blue and red and white heritage classic ones. Why not just use those as your alternate? Because you already have the Jets and script alternate. This would be your fourth jersey. What about Detroit's? Why are you talking about the jersey when they had the D on it? That no, no, no. So they had this exact jersey, Detroit, and it was just it was a red and white stripe on the the arm and down the bottom, and it it was nicer. Because the red and white counter uh, complements each other and it pops on the ice. The gray, I have no idea where it's from. So you could say for the Red Wings, similar to the Islanders, is their logo has never changed. They've never had a secondary. They had the D for Winter Classic, which is by far one of the one of the better Winter Classic jerseys I've ever seen. Those are phenomenal. But I again, love them. If they're doing the reverse retro, they're not using that logo because it was never used in their franchise history. So I get why they stayed with the same thing, but I think they could have done. I don't. I, I'm trying to think of what they could have done with the colors they have. They already have a red jersey, which is home. Maybe a black one with that being white. What if that was white on the? I don't know. They, they, they could have done something like that. I mean, listen, Detroit's logo is one of the coolest ones in the league, right? The wheel with the wing. Uh, to me, you could always use that color. They have the perfect colors, red and white. We've talked about how much those look great on the ice, where you don't need a gray stripe. They could have done more to this jersey, where. Even if they just keep it white, you could add something to the, the arm, the shoulder, the bottom. That's not just a plain old gray. A red stripe. <laughs> a, what about a stripe. what about a red stripe going across here? Like, I mean, you could alternate the colors so that it, it just looks better. This looks like a, a plain white T-shirt that they painted on. It just doesn't look good. Yeah, you get it at Walmart. 
Exactly. It's just not one that you want to see a team release, especially one that's an original six franchise. Yeah. I mean, you look at these again, we have the same three for great reasons, but you know, again, like you said, until we see them on the ice, they might look really good. Ottawa senators, which we didn't give them any credit when they switched their logo. And now they have that same logo back. They should just make those their home. The ones that they made their alt, uh, their reverse retros. I know we don't have it, but beautiful. They went with the red. I mean, to me, you can't go wrong with red. Now there are some teams that wear way too much red. Yes. But for a third Jersey, that clean red look with your logo, I'll take that every day of the week. What'd you think of Vegas is? I didn't like it. Well, I like red and I didn't like it. Yeah. The the color scheme to me was weird. And I don't necessarily know why they even had to make a retro. Like they should have been the one team that didn't have one because they just released alternates. They don't have any retro history. So it was a weird concept for me. And I think they miss with that jersey, which usually they don't miss because that team has been, first of all, competitive every single year of their existence. And I am not a huge gold fan, but those are not terrible, especially on the ice. And uh, I don't know. To me, that red with the sword and uh, I don't even know what it is, just not great. But I would like to see Marc-Andre Fleury's pads in those because he always comes up with something completely unique. So when we come back from the commercial break, we will play an interview with Michelle Anderson of the Eyes on Isles. It, it was a phenomenal interview. He gives his input on the jerseys as well as the Islanders prospect situation. So you do not want to miss that if you are an Islanders fan. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. You're listening to the BS Sports Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Network. Chirping with segment. This time we have an interview with Michelle Anderson, who is a New York Islanders blogger for Eyes on Isles. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thanks for having me, boys. I look forward to this chat. Uh, been listening for a bit, so being on is kind of cool. Awesome. Glad to hear that. So before we get to the questions we have for you today, the first one has to be about the reverse restaurants the Islanders just released with Adidas. It's gotten its fair share of backlash. How, how do you take them? Sorry, I just woke up. Did, did you talk about the reverse retro? Because they immediately put me to sleep. The Islanders reverse retro is so boring. Oh, my God. Hey, guys, guess what? We made it darker blue. Huh? huh? Come on, man. Like, I, I get that the Islanders as an organization are apprehensive to significant change when it comes to the jersey. Uh, jersey. Man, I can't pronounce the word. Because of the whole fisherman thing. I, I get that. But at a certain point, it, we're talking about a fourth jersey that they might wear, like, what, three times over a regular season, which might not even be the case this year. We might even see 50 games. Like, how they might wear it once. And we can't have, we can't have like, a fisherman. And if not, fine. What about an anchor? What about a lighthouse? And anything. Different colors, even. Look at what the Kings did. They took the 90s logo with the, like, 70s colors. Cool. That's awesome. Meanwhile, we went we went with a darker blue, guys, because we're trying to pay homage to the dynasty. Cool. You do that all the time. I think, personally, they could have gone with their away jerseys and done something with the white. Because, first off, back then, white was the home color. So I think they could have done something with that. And, I mean, just like a color rush jersey like we see in the NFL, something like that where it's different. I do not agree with you with the Fishman because I just can't stand it. I think it, just, <laughs> doesn't, it makes me want to throw up on, on site, but... At the same time, though, you're completely right. They made it a sh- uh, darker blue, and they reversed the orange and white at the bottom. And for you look at all the cool ones they created. A lot of them are really cool. The um, 
Colorado Avalanche one, I think, is at the top of most of our list with their Northeast. Yep. That's awesome. The Wild one with the the Minnesota North Stars, that's awesome as well. And then you look at the Islanders, and it's like you didn't you didn't change a thing really. And fans are worrying about signing Barzal, clearing cap space. They needed to put a smile on their face, and instead they're they're crying. Yeah, like they didn't do something for the fans. Like the Rangers, Brendan, you're a Rangers fan, right? Like Correct. seeing Lady Liberty on the crest, like yeah, okay, maybe like we weren't the best when we were wearing that, but. It's still cool to have. It's it's the token of the jersey. It's like unique, which I was wondering, do the Islanders have a secondary logo? It, no, not real. That's the thing. The biggest thing is the Islanders logo hasn't changed since they became a team. For other teams, they've had that alternate logo. The Islanders really had the fisherman, the blue and orange one with the, the stripes on the side, which is my favorite. They had, I mean, they could have done a lighthouse thing. That would have been very, very cool. Yeah, they, they could I, have I, gone that way, but like they have the NY, right? Like that, that they used to like, I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all. That was to me, that was, eh. which because, is still kind of like, eh, they used a portion of the one they already have. So you're like, yeah. eh, all right. You think about the Rangers, right? They, they've had the same Jersey, the same logo, but they have this Liberty alternate, which they can go to. And I think the Islanders need something like that. Even if obviously this is a retro one, so they could have, they couldn't have made one, but they got to get a little more creative when it comes to maybe having a second. What they could have done. And it's on my hat. I'll tweet it out later is why not the Island? Why not just have an Island going down? You know, like the Rangers had Rangers going down, have the Island or have something in the middle and do like an orange and blue thing with that. Just make not the whole Islanders logo, just make the Island as the main logo and do something with that. But they, they really, uh, they really didn't help out Islander fans, but we'll move on. Um, you are from Ottawa. How does a fan from Ottawa, a hockey fan from Ottawa, become a New York Islanders fan? So, yeah, I, I am from Ottawa. I'm not originally from Long Island. I am born and raised in French-Canadian Ottawa. Um, I've, I've only been to Long Island like six, seven times. Uh, Denny Potvin is from here, and specifically this portion of Ottawa. So Ottawa encompasses a bunch of little small little townships, and, and this one here is called Vanier, which is right outside of downtown. And Danny Potvin and Jean Potvin are from here. We have a mural on our main street, which is actually called Montreal Road. Because um, if you take it all the way straight, it leads you right to downtown Montreal. Um, he's from here. And there's a mural there of him, uh, Danny and Jean, in not only their Ottawa 67s gear, but in full New York Islanders gear. And so growing up, my, my grandma lived in, in Ottawa in my youth. And so whenever we'd walk by Montreal Road, you're like, what the heck is that thing? Right, because we never got that here. Like we never, we never really, especially as a young kid, you're not really tuned to what's going on outside of your own little bubble. Uh, seeing that was going. I need to know more about that. And then when Ottawa came about as a hockey team, when I started getting more interested in in, in following the NHL, I was like, I don't really want to be an Ottawa fan. Everyone's going to be an Ottawa fan here. Everyone's either a Montreal fan or a Toronto fan. And so, boom, I went with the Islanders because it was kind of weird. And Danny Potvin's from here. That's, I mean, that's a pretty awesome reason. That's, that's probably the best reason you're going to get for not being a teen, uh, fan of a team in Canada. I mean, as a Rangers fan, I'm very familiar with Pod Van's name every time they play. <laughs> Your Pod Van sucks. I mean, the guy was so good. Like, if you have a chant this, li- this long after you played still going on, that's how you know you're a pretty solid yeah. NHL player. You did I love right. that Rangers fans have that chant. I know that it's our player, but that, that's the sign of a real rivalry. When they chant the player who hasn't played in, like, what, 30, 40 years? Yep. Still, I mean, every even if they're not playing, they chant his name. That's the sign of a real rivalry. It's starting to vanish slowly as like the generation, you know, stops going and it's more younger. But you still hear it, uh, but at least once a game. And I, I love it. I mean, people go, "Oh, you get like he's in your head." No, it's just it's a rivalry. So we're 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 trying to chirp somebody that used to destroy the Rangers every time he played them. 
But uh, for the Islanders right now, they're a team with a major cap issue as they try to re-sign Matt Barzal as an RFA. Once they clear up some cap space and lock him up, there are a few unrestricted free agents that could be re-signed. Would you rather see a guy like Derek Broussard come back or use somebody from within on the third line, such as a Wallstrom or Bellows? Um, yeah, so they only have $3.905 million to sign, and anyone in their right mind knows that's not going to be enough for Matthew Barzell, <laughs> even yep. though he's only coming off his ELC. Um, if they can clear up cap space, yeah, that'd be great. We can find something. I, I don't think they're going to find a lot. They, they, they can maybe move some pieces around, putting guys on LTIR or moving guys to the minors and clearing up a million and, uh, and change for every move. Would I rather see Derek Broussard out there? No. I, I would not. I, I did not like post like after the, the his like what fifteen point flurry at the start of the season. After that, he just completely vanished. Uh, and, and Lou Lamorello recognized that, right? Like he he brought in Derek Broussard to be Valtteri Filippo two Like I'm going to get a guy from the, the 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 bargain bin of UFA, put him on my third line, and he'll carry that line. Well, it didn't work, and he went. I'm not doing that again. I'm bringing in Jean Gabriel Peugeot, and I'm going to pay a lot to do so. Uh, so do I want to see Derek Broussard go back to that role? No, I don't. I would rather see an Oliver Wallstrom. Uh, I don't think we're going to see Kiefer Bellows there. I think it, it's Oliver Wallstrom first, although it could very well be uh, Josh Hosang, right? Who's on a pretty affordable deal uh, and is looking to prove himself. Although like there's a whole bunch of background knowledge or background baggage going on there. Um, but I, I, I could see the Islanders bringing back Derek Broussard. He's a veteran. He's been in the system, and that that's usually enough for them. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say the same. I want to see the young guys play, especially with, you know, Wallstrom and Bellows and all the hype they get. So you mentioned that you think Wallstrom's a much better fit right now. What about Wallstrom's game puts him above Bellows on the depth chart? He's a finisher. He's, he's a clear, clinical uh, finisher. He's a bigger body, too, uh, and he, he doesn't necessarily use it, but he's learning to use it, which is important. Uh, and it's not to say that Bellows can't do that. It's just Bellows isn't dominant in one particular area, right? Like he, he has a good shot for sure. He has a pretty good shot even. Uh, he's just not as as clinical as Oliver Walsham is and can be. Uh, Walsham still has some things to learn. Like his defensive game isn't great. Uh, but I think that's something that's going to plague Walsham throughout his career. Um, but I just see the, si- the ceiling is way higher for uh, Wallstrom than it is for Bellows, in my opinion. I mean, I, I do agree with that, especially the way that Wallstrom has looked so far when he's not been injured overseas. And I mean, Bellows, I remember watching him during that World Juniors tournament when he lit it up and everyone was like, wow, this kid might be a, an elite finisher. And you haven't necessarily heard about that when he played in Bridgeport. So I think he might still need some seasoning, which is not a bad thing. Obviously, he's still a young kid and he's got a lot of potential. Uh, you've been doing a phenomenal job covering these prospects that are playing overseas. Uh, who is the player that the Isles fans should be playing close attention to right now? And is it Wallstrom? Uh, well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. It, it's it's a, a COVID kind of thing. So uh, when COVID <laughs> hit, I, I'm at home uh, doing daddy daycare. Well, not really daddy daycare. It's daddy school. Um, I have two kids under the age of five. Yeah. At, and, and so they're doing schooling. So I'm sitting watching them doing school. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll follow some of the Isles prospects in Europe because they're playing. Uh, if you would have asked me this question two weeks ago, I would have said you need to keep your eye on Ruslan Iskrakov, who's playing out in Finland for TPS. But since then, he's been scratched twice, a healthy scratch twice, uh, and then moved to the wing. So he's a centerman. 
he's he's small. He's like 5'8", 160, maybe 170, somewhere around there. So for NHL, that is small. It's probably like my I, – I maybe weigh 160 pounds all wet. So I'm not going to really throw him got, under the bus I for got, that. I got you beat, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I would have said him, but he's not really uh, lighting it up as we thought he would in Finland yet that might turn around, but as it starts right now, his, his journey in the pro ranks isn't really working out as well as we thought for me, it's Robin Salo right now, the defense and playing in Sweden, who is also finished, but he's playing out for a rebro in Sweden plays a ton of minutes, 21 minimum a night. He's now in a three game point streak. I think he's got four points over his last three games. Uh, he's just an absolute workhorse, 22 years old. Uh, he's, at the end of his contract this year in Sweden. So he's probably going to be in North America, depending on when 2021 or 2021 starts, he could be here this year, right? Like they're finished their regular season in March. We're not probably going to start till January. If that, so he, he could be here this year, depending on how things go. I would look out for him. I, I would say Walsh, but he's still hurt and we don't know when he's going to be coming back. The team has told me two weeks about a week ago. Uh, and that was already a two week delay. So, we're not really sure where he is in terms of uh, of return to the ice. I'm going to try to pronounce his name, but uh, Junkrantz, Lungkrantz, whatever his name is, I think it's Lungkrantz, right? Jungkrantz. Jungkrantz. Okay. There, there you go. go. Jungkrantz. <laughs> Should Islander fans be getting used to pronouncing his name? Uh, yeah, sure. Like, I think we have to take uh, what he's doing with a grain of salt. He is a third round pick, which is still high but not super high he's doing well right i think it's uh, 15 points in 16 games um that last game he played was a barn burner in so much that there were like 101 penalty minutes given off it was wild absolutely wild um he's going to play well for the u20 side and that's where he's at now putting up almost a point per game he's going to play well at that level and he's going to move up to the shl he's already played average of like two minutes a night literally uh, this year for in a couple of games. So next year, he's going to be at the SHL level for sure. I wouldn't be, he's going to be a project. I'm not going to say he's going to be here next year and we should really get super excited about him. He's going to be a gem. He could very well be, but I, I think we need to tamper our expectations with him and just say like he's developing well so far in the short time that he's been under our umbrella. Let's see where it goes. So far, so good. Let's move on to uh, Joshua Hosang is back with the Islanders after, you know, the team didn't want him. They outsourced him to uh, an AHL team last year. There was rumors that he was going to the KHL. He files for arbitration to Lamarillo's. Very confused on that, but he does. They settle. They get a deal done. He's back with the team. What are your expectations for him, and can he help this Islanders club this season? He could if he gets a chance, right? Like we, we know what he can do. He's, at worst, a 40-point player in the NHL over a full 82-game season, which is good, right? Like anyone will sign up for that. Uh, he could be even better than that. Every time he touches the puck, people are are impressed and get out of their seats. Does he create turnover, turnovers? Yes, absolutely. His defensive game isn't great, but we said that about Oliver Wallstrom at the beginning of the show as well, right? Like He's got some deficiencies to his game, as everyone else in the league, right? Look at Matthew Barzell. Does he give the puck away a lot? Heck yeah. <laughs> but that's what happens with puck areas, right? Like Brendan, you'd probably say the same thing about um, Artemi Panarin. Does he yep. give the puck away a lot? Sure. But look at how he puts it in the net, right? Like, he masks it. Yeah, but, but when you play with the puck more often than other people, you're going to give it away more. It's a wild concept, right? <laughs> like that that's just what happens. Now, does that mean like we should absolutely get him first line minutes? No, of course not. Uh, is he going to play at the NHL level? 
I, I would say not, which is why he filed for arbitration, right? Like he filed because if he signed his qualifying offer, he was going to get like $70,000 payout at the AHL level. As we know now, that's not what he's getting. When it's it's two forty, I think it is at the yeah. AHL level, which is a significant uh, raise for him. Uh, if he performs, he he'll he'll earn that, uh, and he can like what we've seen him turn it on at the AHL level and just absolutely dominate, like torch it, right? Like ten points in three games type of thing. Just on fire. He does not belong there when he is focused. If he can do that, if this uh, deal allows him to do that, he could be a huge contributor for Bridgeport and at the NHL level, assuming they let him do so. With the money he has now, he could buy a new alarm clock. And it <laughs> should, be, should be all set. I mean, how crazy is it that if he just got up and made it to camp, how much his career could be a lot different than it was? I know, you know, one mistake, and that's your first impression is bad. But imagine he just showed up on time. His career might, he might be playing with the honors, won't even having this conversation. Yeah, there's also a few other missteps from there, right? Like, can't skate in a straight line is something Brent Thompson said like a year <laughs> after that, which isn't necessarily true. It's just, it means he dawdles with the puck a little bit too much, which is true. Um, he said a few things about the team, right? Like, he's thrown the Islanders under the bus, like, ah, they can't play defense, but I'm the problem. And he's not wrong, but like if you're looking for a job in the organization, maybe don't throw them under the bus. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's it's what you said, though, was definitely right. When he touches the puck, everybody watches. When he first came up, I remember it was must-watch hockey. He was going to do some crazy thing. And then Barzal came. And while Barzal had a mistake when he played the puck in the penalty box, which put a sour taste in fans' mouths, quickly he passed he passed um, Hosang in the depth charts. Everyone said, Barzal is just a better Hosang, and Hosang got masked. But I like what you said about that too, though. He is dynamic when he has the puck. The things that he can do, not many people can do. And, and if he can help this club, I'm all for it. He just has to you know, make the most of his chance. Which is why he went in the first round, right? Like He's a supremely skilled forward, very highly skilled. He just has, uh, for, for lack of a better term, an attitude problem. And it's not that he has a bad attitude. It's just he sees things a certain way, and he's not necessarily wrong. And it's convincing him to not do those things or convincing him to see things your way, which is a problem that the Islanders have. They haven't been able to have this like take the tight and be like, yes, we see what you're saying, but you should see what we're saying. And let's meet in the middle. Both sides are kind of pigheaded in that regard where they can't, like they just can't see it the same way. And that's where conflict occurs. And that's why he's not at the NHL and they're not getting the help out of what was their first round pick. I mean, you could definitely use a type of player like Hosang, especially one that's still affordable because any team that it's a well-known secret when a team's against the cap, like the Islanders are having that young talent come up. That's still on the, you know, 700 to $900,000 range could really help alleviate those issues. So do you think that the Islanders are deep enough prospect wise to have players come up right now this year and help alleviate that cap crunch? Or are they going to have to try to manipulate it a lot more than they have done so far? That's a good question because, like, yes, they have good players that they could bring up and fill a role at the NHL level, right? Like, we talked about Oliver Wallstrom, we talked about Bellows, uh, and Josh was saying that's three players that could arguably play in the top six, if, depending on who you ask, but at least on the third line, right? At, at minimum, they're a third line option for the Islanders, which is kind of what they could use. Uh, but are, are they going to give them the shot? That's, that's where I'm not sure. 
are they going to give them a chance to succeed? Now, outside of that, they got prospects like Ilya Sorokin, who's going to dazzle this year. Yeah. Uh, they have Noah Dobson, who's going to do the same this year, right? Like, I see you're rubbing your hands. I'm stoked <laughs> for Ilya Sorokin. It's going to be incredible. Wait, I mean, I'm excited, too, and I'm a Rangers fan. So The goalie battle between the Rangers and Islanders, Shostorkin and, and Sorokin, is yep. going to be nuts. Uh, just, um, it's going to so- bring out that rivalry so much more. I can't wait. I can't wait. It's already peak, right? Or it seems like it's peak, right? They couldn't get any better from last year. Yep. And there's already there's already a step above. And we don't have to rely on people beating each other up. Oh my God, what are the odds? Wow. <laughs> um, so they do they have the depth to help them this year? Yes. Uh, because they have they have a lot of good pieces already, like Lee, Garzal, uh Bailey. A lot of people won't say that, but I, I sure as hell will. You're a believer. Uh, yes, I am a huge <laughs> believer. Um can Nick Letty step in back into a top four role and produce? Absolutely. And then they have the complementary pieces like with the guys we just mentioned to help them. Do they have that down the road, like in two, three years from now? No, not, not as it stands right now. In two, three years from now, that pipeline is not going to be very good for them. Unless some of these guys like a Bodie Wild, a Russian Lishkakov, just absolutely turn up and, and become the, these top tier prospects that they need. But as it stands now, we don't know where they're going to be and what they're going to become. What about a guy like Sebastian Ajo, the Islanders, Sebastian Ajo? Obviously, he gets a pay raise as well. And, you know, the Islanders have a hole in their back. And if they move Johnny Boychuk and, well, you know, the questions with Andy Green, how much do you think that Ajo is going to get a chance to play at the NHL level? Because we haven't seen him in a couple of years. But when he did play, though, he didn't really stand out doing anything bad. He was he looked solid to me. He was just a young guy and he was stepping in for injuries or whatnot. Very Michael Delcolian performance, right? Like, full-on 0.0 war just like good enough to be there but not good enough to like keep the spot necessarily um that that's a shame like i like michael dalcole um but anyways can sebastian aho fill that role yeah if they want to like save coin like we talked about before you put a guy like him in instead of andy green now will they do that are you going to put your third pair of sebastian aho and noah dobson no, no way. Sir. Like it, Barry Trotz will grow hair to pull it out if that happens. <laughs> like it's just he's just not gonna do that. He's not gonna put two two guys on the bottom pair. But can you flip around your bottom two pairing on defense and have Aho Mayfield, Letty, Dobson? All right, now we're getting to somewhere where you're going, all right, that makes sense. You got some veteran presence, you got puck mover, not puck mover, uh left, right. Like, okay, that seems to work a little bit more. Uh, they they are going to bring Andy Green back. Like the contract is signed, it's just sitting on Lou's desk. I mentioned on the po- on my podcast the other day. It's like there's a paperweight on it, and he just hasn't sent it into NHL office because the guy knows what he's doing. Yeah, uh, he's playing games with everyone else, and they're two steps behind. Uh, but if they don't, right? If they just can't clear up the cap space, yes, I could see him playing in the NHL for the Islanders this year. I mean, I hope they sign Andy Green back because as much as I trust, I think Letty's going to have a bounce back year compared to what he's been. You know, it's been a downward spiral for his career, but I think now he has a big, he has to be better. Like it's not, it's not where they had good enough defense because the defense was so good that he didn't have to be that top two, three defenseman on the team. But now once Boychuk's traded with the young talent they have on the back end, he's really got to take that leadership role and be better. So I think he will be, but I like what you said though, too, is you have that nice balance, him playing with Dobson, as much as Boychuk with Dobson to me, didn't really work that well because Boychuk was making a lot of mistakes as he's getting older turnovers, all that stuff. You don't really want Dobson necessarily learning from those things, but at the same time, you can't have him with a rookie or a younger player. He has to be with a veteran to help him out a little bit. Yeah, that's just it. So like, th- there's going to be a lot of learning going on on the Islanders' blue line, specifically with Noah Dobson. 
but Nick Letty's going to be get, getting back into a, a role that he's kind of used to, right? A top four role and, and quarterbacking the power play. Like you saw his power play minutes decrease significantly over the last two years with the emergence of Devontae's, who has now gone to the Colorado Avalanche, right? So like he's going to get that time back that he that he missed. Uh, he's not going to, like you said, get be thrown back into a top pair role. He's going into a a top four role, second line or second pair, uh, which should shoot, suit him more. Like the quality of competition he's going to face is going to be less than what he did previously. So they're not throwing him under the bus saying like, Nick, you got to you know be the guy you were four years ago. No, no, you be the guy you are today, uh, and we're going to give you a little bit of an easier time of it. Great. That's awesome. So the honors are looking for a high-caliber winger. And while there's free agents available, but like a guy like Hoffman, they can't afford unless he took a. No, it's not honestly. They can't. It's not going to happen. <laughs> no. They're going to have to. They're going to have to make a trade probably for a guy like a Line or a Palmieri. You know, you, like you said, you look at the prospects and the piece on the Islanders. Which one would you think the Islanders be more willing to move to get a guy like that? Kiefer Bellows. End. <laughs> Period. Right. It, it's it's Kiefer Bellows that, that, that they move. We're good. All right. See you later, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Now, do you think that's enough, though? No, no. Like, if we're talking uh, for for a guy like Line, absolutely not. And they're gonna have to make the money work too, right? Like Line is on six, seven, five for yeah. a, a year, and then and then what happens next year? Considering the Islanders have Anthony Beauvillier, uh, Adam Pellick, who's gonna get a significant a, a significant raise, <laughs> and Ilya Sorokin, right? Like, all these guys have to be resigned, and Casey Zekas, assuming they want to keep him, which I, I would imagine they do. Uh, that's a lot of money. And then you got Patrick Liney, who if he pops in 40, he's going to be like, Lou, I want 10 mil. All right, let me get on the phone and find $10 million somewhere in a COVID economy. That's the problem. The COVID really put a damper on a lot of teams, but the Islanders are facing it the most. And I don't know. I, first of all, I don't think it makes any sense for them to acquire somebody like a Liney, especially this year with only one year left. If he now had signed long term and it was more manageable and they couldn't maybe negotiate a way to rearrange it so that in the future they're paying a little more, maybe. But one year makes no sense. Paul Mary, no. I think, makes more sense because he's not going to cost as much. And he's also, what, he has one year left on his deal, too. This is it for him. So, I mean, is, is Bellows he from Long Island? He's from Jersey, I think. I, no. think Paul I know he's local. Jersey. He's local. That'd be cool. But at the same time, though, is that a quote-unquote high-caliber winger to play alongside Barzal? The biggest thing is getting someone that Barzal could pass to that's going to finish at a high rate than what they have. We saw Everly in the playoffs. As much as the chemistry they have is very, very strong, Everly just failed to finish a lot of times. And it was at sometimes it was like, just, just go sit down. Just go sit down on the bench and don't get off because that's the tough thing. So for you, though, who, would you, who do you think the Islanders, a high-caliber guy that they can go after that could make it work financially oliver wallstrom <laughs> it's internal it really is internal right like because yep. you're you don't raise a bad point and like they have to they're gonna might have to look elsewhere and and the reason they would do that is lou lamoureux loves his veterans as does barry trotz so then your immediate logic is all right they got to find someone outside well where are they going to do that uh, unless they move uh, Andrew Latt, who played a playoff game to LTIR, that's going to be a hard sell already. Like Lou can do it because he's done it before, uh, but I don't know how he's going to, you know, justify it this time around when the NHL office knows what he's up to. Yep. Uh, everyone's expecting him to robe it all and Andrew Ladd, and you know the <laughs> NHLPA has to be going like, no, 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 you, you can't just do that. Um, so we'll see. But if he does that, that's five point five million gone, technically. Uh, and then if you can move Johnny Boychuk and like, let's say both those second round picks that they got for Taze in the, in the package leave, 
then you're looking at, at some more money. And that, that's definitely enough to, to sign Barzal and potentially someone else. But ah, that's a lot of moves for a guy who's made four trades, right? <laughs> four. Yeah. Right. So like I, I can't I can't see it happening. It's possible, of course. Like anything is possible, right? But I, I would say it's gonna have to be someone internal. It's probably gonna be someone like Wallstrom or Bellows, uh, that, that's gonna come in and play on the wing that, that can hopefully pop in twenty, uh hopefully more even, but like at least twenty. And it's kind of unfair because we're asking guys on on their first NHL year to be like, all right, well, you need to be the change. Okay. Uh, no pressure. <laughs> well, I, I agree. I think it should be an internal option because, like I said before, that's the easiest way to alleviate cap trouble. But what about a guy like maybe Mikhail Granlund, who's still looking for a contract? He would be a cheaper option. He's played both center and wing, and he's proven that he could score. So the longer he goes without signing, if the Islanders are able to move a boy chuck and have about one to two million, you could get him on a one-year deal. And that could bridge to next year. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, Granlin would be a great third liner. I, I thought about, um, oh God, now I'm going to Michael Gra- Grabner. Yeah. Duclair's also a good one as well. I love like, Grabner. Grabner would be a great power killer for the uh, for the Islanders who love their power killers, right? Like guys who can just kill it on the penalty kill. So you imagine your penalty kill is Jean Gabriel Peugeot, Casey Zizekas, and uh, Michael Grabner. Good luck. Like so many shorthanded breakaways that aren't going to go in. It's not even funny. All of them are playing the blue line, trying to intercept the D to D pass. Yep. That no one's no one's covering the front. Uh, our power play is actually going to be terrible. Dang it. Um, but yeah, Duclair would be a good one. A guy who tried to represent himself didn't necessarily work on a team flush with cash. Yeah, right. Like they have, they still have, I think, twenty million dollars to spend. Although it is the Ottawa Senators, they they could take Boychuk. <laughs> They, they mm, yeah, well, they don't want to, but they could. We Eugene Melnick is not going to spend the five point two five million dollars if he doesn't have to. He didn't want to do it for Duclair. He could, he, he could, but although there, there's some debate there. I, I don't know. Like he's he's got some lawsuits here in town. Like I think he still has a billion dollar lawsuit against him right now um, for this whole failed arena thing that they're trying to build in, in downtown Ottawa that went up in smoke because Eugene Melnick's an egomaniac. Yep. Um, it, it's a wild, anyways, development. Uh, so, yeah, Duclair would be great. I, I really do think so. Uh, does he fit with what the Islanders do? I'm not so sure. Like, defensively, he's not great. And, and while we've said that about some of the other guys, like Walsh and Bellows, those are prospects, right? Like, those are guys who can maybe learn to get there. You're talking with, with Duclair, who's, what, 26 years old? Um, he's probably not going to, you know, get def- any better defensively. Uh, and so do you want to take that liability? We saw that happen with Derek Broussard. You know, you took a liability on a guy or a risk on a guy, and it didn't really work out necessarily, and, and it costs you to fix that mistake. The Islanders can't, you know, make mistakes necessarily with what they're doing, right? Like, they, they can't afford to lose another first-round pick. They can't. We talked about how weak yep. their system is in a couple of years from now. They can't do that. And they have no cap hit to take, you know, a swing and a miss on either. So, What about those that he played? I know Broussard probably played with Pajot at Spurs, but, you know, Pajot played with, Duclair, they have that chemistry. And yes, it took Peugeot a little bit to figure out, hey, I'm not a first liner anymore. I'm playing in a defensive-based system. And that changes the game. And for a guy like Duclair, who who's loves scoring goals, obviously he's going to have to pay more attention to the defensive side of the puck. But at the same time, playing with Peugeot, who is defensive savvy, he's very good in his own zone. He knows what he's doing. That allows a guy like Duclair to go up there and play more offense with a guy like Peugeot to cover him on the back if he makes a mistake. Yeah, they, good points all around for sure. Uh, are the Islanders going to want to sign up for that? Uh, and do they have the money to do so? 
So, and that, that's really all it comes down to is like, do they have the money to do it? Because yeah, Duclair would be a, a, a fitting add to a, a middle six that could use a few more goals. Um, they just, do they have the money? How they, like, we're already not sure how they're going to get Barzal signed with 3.9. And, and then we're, we're all convincing ourselves he's going to sign for six, which is possible. But like, you're, you're thinking a 60, 70 point guy signing for $6 million. <laughs> I don't know. But that's, that's what this COVID economy does. We have no idea. Yeah, so last one before we let you go, and this one's not Islander-related. It's it's just prospects in general. Obviously, this draft year uh, was you know supposed to happen, didn't happen. All the buildup like, went with it. The Rangers wound up winning the lottery. I could not love ping-pong balls any more than I do right now. <laughs> and so the easy answer to this question, which the question is, which drafted player this year do you think will have the best NHL impact, is Lafreniere, which obviously it seems like his ceiling's the highest. He's going to get the chance. But there's also a couple other players, especially in that top 10, that might get a chance that could produce. So is there a little surprise that you think will have a great uh, impact in the NHL right away? Um, there's a lot of noise around Cole Perfetti, right, with the Winnipeg Jets. And, and of yep. course, you're right. The biggest impact at the NHL level is going to be Alexis Lefrenier. There's no question about it. Um, he's got, What he's going to be able to do on a pretty stacked Rangers team offensively uh, and, and defensively as well. Like the, the Rangers defense, man, I don't. They're, they're going to be good. I'm worried about the Rangers, man. I really am. I think that they'll be good defensively next year. Yeah, I that's what I mean, year. right? Like, yeah. Fox, D'Angelo, as much as we want to say with some of the things he says somewhere, but, like, he's still a good, at least offensive player. Maybe he's going to be their third player. pair, too. Exactly, yeah. right? Like, quality of competition is not going to be very high for him. No. Yeah, he might get, you know, dunked on by Sebastian Ajo once, <laughs> but, like, Noah Dobson got dunked on by Kasperi Kapanen. So, like, whatever. Well, you, um, you don't expect D'Angelo to be on the ice against Aho in, in next year. Next year, that'll <laughs> next be, it's off the it'll be Fox or somebody else that's more qualified to, to do it. <laughs> I I just remember my jaw dropped, and I said, oh, my God, did I really just watch their season? See, I said the same thing. I said the same thing, but it was with a different emotion. I was like, oh, my <laughs> God. That season just ended on, oh, my. Well, it was, it was the first postseason I've watched as a Rangers fan where I didn't have, like, Obviously, I'm a realist, so I knew that they weren't going to go all the way. So I was just happy that I got to watch some postseason hockey. Did I want to see them win one game? Yes, but I just wanted these young guys. I knew that it was huge. If you can get these Kako, Edel, Fox to get three games of playoff experience before they were supposed to, that's a big step. It was but a big lesson learner. I mean, D'Angelo knows now. Don't poke check. Take that chest. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Like, you got to learn to lose sometimes, right? And, and learning to – and it really – Puts a lot of. I know we're talking about the Rangers here right now, but that that's that's quite all right. Like you, when you're you're initiating a rebuild, you don't expect it to be done in two years. You yeah, really exactly. don't, right? Like they sent a letter out saying like there are going to be some tough times. There's going to be some hard things coming, like Lundqvist going. You know, Zib, uh, not Zibanejad, but um, why can't I think of his name? But other guys leaving the team, right? Like fan favorites. There's going to be some pains, guys. Boom! Two years later, Artemi Panarin, first overall, second overall. Adam Fox that we got from was it Carolina, Carolina. that they traded? Yep. Like turns into a top four guy, maybe a top pair guy, like boom, things are lining up real quick. And you're like, all right, I wasn't ready to win so quick, but let's go. Uh, that's got to feel pretty good. I mean, this would be a much better team if they fell in any other division. <laughs> yeah. The that's Metro is just so good. And not if they do the race. geographic realignment, which we've been talking about too, and you add Boston to the Metro now, just shoot oh God. Yeah. Buffalo. I mean, well, it's Buffalo be- coming is great because you know that somebody will fall below the Rangers and Islanders. 
But but they have Stolo on a one year deal to help Eichel get to the promised land. What do you mean? Hall, yeah, Hall, yeah. Hall will they'll, they'll score. But the Sabers problem has never been scoring. It's always been who's in net to keep the puck out. And uh, defense. Yeah. yeah, they they basically have a Doug Waite system running there. So and, and we are very <laughs> familiar with that. Like, Is there even a system there? Yeah. yeah, right. Like we dare you to outscore us. Okay, boom, boom, boom. There they go. Ah, dang Easy. it, didn't see that coming. What's, cra- what's crazy though is they always start off where people go. No, maybe it's maybe it's their time to make. Ah, never mind. Never mind. Yeah. Ten like, game waiting streak, twenty game down the drain. <laughs> like oh, yeah. um. But to get to the question, sorry. Yep. Um, no, it's all good. There, there's two guys that that I'm really. If you were just limiting it to the top ten of the 2020 draft, outside of like the top three, even. So for focusing from four to ten, um, Lucas Raymond playing out in Sweden. I believe it's Rogel, Frolunda. Sorry, Frolunda. Um, my God, that's a prospect for Detroit. Yeah, he's going to be incredible. Uh, he, I don't know if he's going to get a chance this year because I'm not really sure what his contract situation is. Uh, with Frolunda, he may have a, a year left, but like they're going to try to get him over. They do have uh, an agreement in place, but the SHL is kind of being rough with who they're allowing to come and go during the season. Uh, so I don't know if they're going to allow that this year. We'll see. And then, like I mentioned earlier, Cole Perfetti. I don't think he gets a chance, but he he might if he can perform well at training camp for Winnipeg. They they might give him a chance because that's a team that that looks to its youth to to regenerate and rejuvenate its system on a yearly basis. Uh, and with potentially Patrick Line at some point requesting a trade, I would imagine uh, they're they're going to need guys to come in. And I'm not saying he's going to be uh, a Patrick Line esque player, but he's going to be more offense for them, and they're going to need that if he leaves. So Cole Perfetti and Lucas Raymond are my top two outside of the top three in the top ten to make it more confusing. <laughs> that was uh, great. That was actually great the way you did that because I would have started <laughs> spitting everywhere. But um, no, we uh we talked about Perfetti on the last show, and we don't think he's going to get a chance just because their their offense is very good up and down that lineup. Again, defense has been in an issue. You know, when Buffin left, it was that was a hard blow. They have an unreal goaltender in that in Hellebuck. So yeah, but Raymond though, when we talked about Detroit and we we talked last week about which teams had the best offseason thus far. And while we don't think Detroit's going to be a playoff team because, you know, it's still they're still in they're not they're not good. They have a lot of veterans, but their prospect list is is absurd. The amount of talent they're going to have, they might get back to where it's 25 years making the playoffs again. Obviously a couple years down the road, but their talent is so good. This Detroit team is going to have a bright future. That's what Steve Eiserman does to you, right? Like he 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 puts the work in and and he puts it from the, the the bottom up, right? Like invest in your scouting staff, find those guys. And like we talk a lot about or we, but like a lot of people talk about Ottawa had a great year, right? They they brought in all those prospects. But there's a lot of chatter about the depth of some of those prospects. Like there's no question that Tim Stutzla is gonna be an okay player. Yep. Uh and, and what Jake and Sanderson might be okay. But these are comfort picks. Like they 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 the Ottawa Senators do not have a, a, a significant scouting staff. They don't have scouts everywhere. So their scouting network is, if you're like playing NHL 21 or something, you may have had four scouts. So you don't have a, a, a clear picture of everything, right? Which is what the Ottawa Senators are doing. Uh, they, they, they got some good players that everyone had a consensus would, would be pretty good. But it's not like they had information on other guys to kind of like change their mind or, or, or form a clear and, and perfect picture of what they were going to do. So while they might have some good players, they could have even had a better season. So we'll, we'll see what some of these picks that the Ottawa Senators got in that first round this year. Uh, but there, there are still question marks, even though they, they picked, what, 3-4, and they had the Islanders pick as well. 25, was it? Yeah, I forget they, already, they but it was up the there. First round. 28 they got, right? Because I think they, they've moved back or something. 
No, the Islanders would have been 28. Of course, that's how it works. We went to Eastern Conference Final. I'm not <laughs> used to this winning thing. I'm not used to it. No, I mean, I'm not, they have never won in my lifetime. So, I mean, right? I mean, so, it, to me, the one thing I'll say before we let you go is that Detroit, whether it's Ken Holland, who used to be in the front office, and now it's Steve Eiserman, somehow overseas, they just find every single player that's going to wind up panning out and being this next great thing. And Lucas Raymond's probably, from all the highlight tapes that I've seen, he looks like a really, really skilled player. And even Bob McKenzie before the draft was saying that outside of Lexi Lafreniere, he could have the highest upside in this draft. So to me, that's just amazing that somehow he falls to Detroit and now just watch what happens. Yeah, it makes their life easy, right? So uh, their scouting staff specifically in Sweden is is robust. Uh, I mean, when I say robust, I don't mean like they have 20 guys for every game, but like the guys that they do have working know what they're talking about and they know what they're doing and they know what they're looking for and just look, the results speak for themselves. So g- good job by them. And, and that's what we all aspire to, every, every one of our franchises. Uh, so I, I would hope that the Islanders can do that, but like they're spending in other directions right now that eventually, hopefully, they can get to spending more on their scouting staff. Um, before we do let you go, one question. So you are in Ottawa. Yeah. How does people feel about their... They're not the retro look jersey. Obviously, it's similar to there, but the old going back to the old logo. What what do people think about that? They love it. Love it. It's one of the like it's positive here about the Ottawa Senators. There's love for the Ottawa Senators, which hasn't happened for years, right? Like <laughs> we did the billboards, and then they did the billboards. Kind of the same thing, trying to get rid of their owner, not even just their GM, their owner. Uh, yeah. That's what their billboards were about. Uh, they love the 2D jersey because that's when the franchise came out. You remember the Daniel Alfredson, Jason Spezza, sore spot again. Um, uh, just Danny Heatley, right? Like putting up a hundred points and, and making it to the East, not even just the Eastern conference, but all the way to the Stanley cup finals, uh, was huge. And it brings them back to their glory days. It's kind of like what we were doing, except they, they didn't already use that logo, right? Like it, it's like we had a 3d logo and they're like, let's go back to the 2d one. Everyone would be loving it. Was it 07 when Heatley had the 100? 50 and 07. 50 and 07, yeah. right? We, for, uh, we had a school team. We had a, a deck hockey uh, league at our school. Our team was 50 and 07. That was our Saturday. That <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, like, it's been a while since the Ottawa Senators have been that good. And so bringing that back brings a big sense of, of not relief, but just kind of um, just brings everyone back to good, the good old days when Eugene Melnick wasn't necessarily what he is today. <laughs> For sure. Definitely. All right. Well, Michelle, thank you very much for joining us. We really do appreciate it. It's been a great interview. Great. 40 minutes long doesn't feel like it, and we really appreciate you, all your insight, and you coming on and taking the time to talk with us. Thanks for having us, boys. I'm going to make sure my kids haven't uh, you know, killed themselves right now. <laughs> playing Lego. I, I hear the Lego falling all over the place. It's going to be a mess out there. Make sure you don't step on them. Those are the most <laughs> painful things to step on. In the I got my shoes. I'm good. All right. Thanks, boys. No problem. Have a good one. So, yeah, so that was Michelle Anderson. Great interview. We really had a good time doing that. And, I mean, he gave us a lot of insight on the Islanders' prospects. He, he knows his hockey because he was able to transition to the Rangers, talking about prospects with the Detroit Red Wings, too. And it's really exciting to see the amount of young talent that's about to be, you know, entering this league. And it's a unique time for sure. We saw in the MLB people entering and making their debuts where it doesn't really have that same magnitude when there's no fans. But, Sometimes for these younger players, such as an Alexi Lafreniere with the Rangers, if there's no fans in attendance, it's almost like a junior game again, and he could just go out and play hockey. Yep, all they got to do is focus on playing the sport they love. There's no distractions. And while, of course, they envision themselves walking in the ice for the first time doing that solo lap, the fans, the crowd going nuts. But at the end of the day, 
You're living out your dream. You're stepping foot on NHL ice. It's still going to be a surreal moment. No one's going to take that away from you. And then when fans are allowed back, I guarantee he goes out there and does his lap or, you know, does some fan thing, but it'll be exciting for sure. Most definitely. And I look forward to hockey coming back because I know you and I are really eager to watch some NHL action again. And a reminder for all you listening that the number is 802-294-2777. The lines are open. Feel free to call in and talk about the retro jerseys, Islanders, Rangers, or hockey in general. We'd love to hear from you. But until we get a couple of calls, let's talk about the NHL Network's top 20 centers list. They just released it. Number one is obviously Connor McDavid. Number two is Nathan McKinnon. But interestingly enough, number three is Leon Dreisaitl and four is Crosby. So the Edmonton Oilers have two of the top three centers in the National Hockey League and still lost to the 12-seed Chicago Blackhawks in the playoffs. Well, it just goes to show how important this sport is when you have a team around you. Look at basketball. Have LeBron. You're in the finals probably every single year. Baseball, you need more than just one guy. But in hockey, look, two of the top four, top three best centers in the league putting up unreal numbers lose to the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah, it's crazy. The the magnitude of you need a team around, you need depth guys, you need great defense, you need great goaltending to win in this league, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing that the Oilers have two guys in the top three and they didn't win because it just shows how competitive this league really is. Yeah, I mean, and the Rangers and Islanders both represented and Mika Zibanejad and Matt Barzal. And, I I mean, you look at this list, it's only 20 centers, but the, the fact that the amount of talent, like Barzal is 19. Right. So that just speaks to the depth of the center position in the National Hockey League. And it, there's just Anze Kopitar, who used to be an elite, elite player and still is, for the most part, number 20. So Austin Matthews, Patrice Bergeron, right? Sean Couturier, Steven Stamkos, Elias Pedersen, the list just goes on and on. The amount of talent, Braden Point. Uh, it's it's honestly surreal. And the Rangers, who have Mika Zibanejad on it, really struggle at the center position when it comes to face-off percentage and, and talent. So it's really crazy to see how many good centers there really are in the league, especially when the team that you watch consistently is struggling at that position constantly. Yeah, so I was looking at it. I said, okay, let me see. You know, you have Zibanejad at 10 and point at 9. And I went back and did some digging statistics, statistically-wise. Point over the last two years has 66 goals, 90 assists. That's 156 points. Zibanejad, 71 goals, 70 assists, 141 points. And Brendan Point's one of those guys that got a chance. And then obviously Stamkos going down, his play, uh, playing time significantly increased. But Brendan Point is so good. I mean, yes. as an Islander fan and covering the Islanders, I watched what he can do. I watched how important he is when he's on the ice and when he's not there. And when he's not there, it's like you took a Crosby out of that lineup. I mean, he, he, the you have Kucherov, Stamkos obviously was hurt, but you have Kucherov, Hedman, Sorelli, guys like that. And then you just showed how much weak. They're not a weak team when they don't have point, but how much weaker they got. The speed point is such a dynamic player. And the fact that he's on this list and he's up there, he's going to be a lot better too. He's going to get better as he gets into his prime. It's going to be exciting to see what he does. What was the uh, point differential between the two of them? All right. So if my math's correct, it was 11, uh, 15 points. That To me, that's, that's absurd. And I think that speaks volumes to... Zabanajad too, because Zabanajad only played 57 games last year. He was hurt, and he still scored 41. I know that he led the league in goals per game, but that I mean, 15 point differential playing on a team in the Rangers two years ago. If that's over the last two seasons, that wasn't in contention at all. So, I mean, the Rangers traded Derek Brassard 
and a seventh for Mika Zibanejad and a second, I believe, or, or a third. And wow, what what a trade that was for New York. It's one of those trades that you you look back and it's just uh, Canadian teams got to just stop doing business with the Rangers because the other one before that was Montreal traded uh, Ryan McDonough to the Rangers for Scott Gomez. Well, that's one of the worst trades ever. Ever. Uh, I've, uh, it just blows my mind that I mean Scott Gomez was a great player for the Devils, was a good player for the Rangers, but you could tell by the end of his Rangers tenure he was declining. And all of a sudden, Montreal goes, oh, we got this good defensive prospect from Wisconsin that we're just going to give you for an aging forward. And that backfired mightily. Yeah, it's just crazy to see. But, like, that's a huge difference. And you said Zibanejad didn't play that many games. And he's on a, a weaker team. I mean, you look at Tampa, and they're just stacked. You expect a guy like Point to put up significant numbers. But we talked about it, too, is Malkin's high on this list at eight. And every time we think Malkin is, all right, this might be the year where he drops off. He never does. Brent, how many points did he have last year? He had 74 points. I think he had 29 goals. And it, it's just surreal, the level of production consistently. And I don't know if it's something from these Russian players, but Malkin, uh, how he continues to produce. Ovechkin, how he continues to produce. Kuznetsov continues to produce. Like All these guys that come over from Russia just manage. Uh, the longevity is astounding. Yeah, I'm just thinking now, too. A guy like Kyle Connor, he plays center as well, right? And wing? Or he uh, he might he might be a winger though. Yeah, for that. A winger. I was gonna say, I, I thought he played some center, but obviously Shockley's on this list and he's yeah. a phenomenal player. But you look up and down, like you said, Islanders and Rangers both represented. I was actually interested to see that Sebastian Aho was ranked higher than John Tavares. Sebastian I Aho mean, came in at thirteen, John Tavares at fourteen. Obviously, not much of a difference there, but it just goes to show how you know people see Tavares as this world-class guy and while he might be in some eyes like Sebastian Ajo in a, lot, a much much smaller market we saw what happened last year where he got his um contract matched by Carolina they really cared about him and wanted him back on the club but a guy like Ajo being ahead of Tavares probably you know pisses a bunch of people off yeah it does and I, I still think that people are slighting Tavares a little bit because his first year he had a career high in goals and points and last season, he still scored 26 times. He had over 60 points. But Sebastian Ajo had 38 goals, so I think that that's why they put him one ahead, even though he only had 66 points. So it's not like his total was through the roof either. But, uh, I mean, when you look at both those guys, Sebastian Ajo, we talked about him in the interview with Michelle, how good he, his move was on Tony D'Angelo, how good he was in that series, him and Sveshnikov. And that duo is going to be around for a long time. And uh, I mean, every time I think of Ajo, the first thing that pops into my mind is that qualifying offer thing when Carolina went on Twitter and said, should we match this and did a poll? Because <laughs> obviously they were going to match. Uh, he's he's a very good young player. And I think that his, him being 13th shows how good he is at his age. And he's only going to go higher on that list. Yeah, he is a phenomenal hockey player. I was watching the highlights during uh, one of the commercial breaks and he was just doing some, some filthy things with the puck. Another guy too that's... I don't know if it's surprising on this list is Ryan O'Reilly at 15. He's so good. Yeah, he, he set a career high with 28 goals um, in 2018-19. That was his first year with the Blues. Obviously, we know how that went. But yep. at the same time, though, do you think he's a better centerman than Stamkos, Couturier? I think he's underappreciated. He does a lot of the little things. Well, what makes him ahead of those two guys, and honestly, he could even be higher is not necessarily offensive production, but he's a Lady Bing finalist every year. He doesn't take penalties, stays out of the box. His face-off percentage is through the roof. 
and defensively he's so responsible. Now, Sean Couturier is also a Selkie finalist. He, he's one of the better defensive forwards in the league. But at the same time, Ryan O'Reilly's been doing it consistently for upwards of eight years, as opposed to Couturier, who took a little bit of time as he was younger. He's still a young player, and now the last couple of years has really developed and, and fine-tuned his defensive game. So for O'Reilly, he's been slept on. Obviously, when he was at Buffalo, he wasn't talked about as being an elite, elite center. And then that transition to St. Louis over the last two years has just been phenomenal for him. Yeah, and then the NHL writers uh, for NHL.com did a little work about who they think will be the top center in the NHL in the next three seasons. And while you would you would think, obviously, McDavid's going to get there, this is, how they, this is who they have. One writer has McDavid to be the top center. You got McKinnon, Braden Point, and Jack Eichel. They think will be, you know, in a couple of years, be that top centerman. I can't see anybody passing McDavid until he's until he's dead. I, I think that until he retires, I think when he calls it quits, he will still be a top five player in this league. I think it'll be like a Crosby, even maybe a little better with consistency. I know he's had injury issues, and hopefully, if he gets that under control, he'll play for a long, long time. But we said it, Braden Point's up there. He's going to rise on this list. And while I'm an Islander fan, I cover the Islanders. Barzal is going to be a superstar. He's not a superstar yet. He will be. He's very, very young still. Can I see him in the top 10 eventually in this list? I think so. I just don't think he scores enough, which is why he's not going to be that high. But, I mean, Jack Eichel, Braden Point, McKinnon, and McDavid should be at least top five in the next couple of years for quite some time. The, the Braden Point overtaking McDavid, McKinnon, Eichel, Matthews even, it, I don't see that happening. Now, I'm not sliding Braden Point at all. I'm just – when you see McDavid and McKinnon play, they're head and shoulders better than everybody at the professional level, let alone at their position. So uh, the, the amount of talent uh, – what how McDavid had over 90 points and was hurt for a little bit this year. Like, you just can't stop him. If he wants to score, he's finding a way to score in that game. Now, Braden Point is exceptionally skilled, but – He's fast, but he doesn't have that same stride length as a McDavid, and he's a shorter guy, so he has to work extra hard to get those same type of ice spaces that McKinnon and McDavid could slide into. So to me, if you're talking about three to five years down the road, McDavid one or McKinnon one is the safest bet there. And Eichel, honestly, every year improves, so it could be him too, especially if he winds up getting traded from Buffalo and going to a, a better team. That's a very good point. I mean, like you said, Tavares first year in Toronto, he put up career numbers. Yep, that's a new. He was putting. He was the best player in the Islanders by far. He carried that team, and when he struggled, the team struggled. And then he got to a new place, obviously with significantly more weapons. But we're seeing now that yeah, you could be a top center in this league, but it doesn't mean your team's going to win. Toronto hasn't figured it out how to get to that next next level to contend because, quite frankly, they don't show up in the playoffs. And even the Islanders after Tavares left got better. So what does that say? But yep. like I said, McDavid and McKinnon are by far ahead of – it's just crazy. Well, we've talked about this numerous times. It's not just their speed. It's their speed with the puck. And then it's their decision-making where the goalie has no idea what you're going to do. McDavid could either cut to the net, quick shot, cut to the net, hold on to the puck, deke him out, take a wicked wrister. It's just when you have so many different options, it is impossible for a goalie to guess what you're going to do. He has to read the play, and by the time he reads the play – it's in the back of the net. And if they don't shoot it, they deke around, do the thing, pass it off to someone else who buries it. A guy like Zach Cassian racking up 20-plus goals because McDavid just does what he wants to do and feeds him an easy pass, finish. And these two guys are just elite. But like I said, Braden points that, and especially when Stamkos, if he does get traded or he leaves. This is Braden points T. I know Kucherov's not 
Super old, obviously. He's getting up there. Braden Point is a new wave of Steven Stamkos, and he's going to take that role. I don't think he'll be the leader. I think Hedman will be the captain once Stamkos calls it quits, and I'm hoping for Stamkos' case that he gets to play longer than he wants injuries. He just It seems like he's always hurt, and we look back. He hasn't been hurt for a couple of years until this year, but it just seems like those injuries take a toll, and he re-aggravates them all the time. So I yeah. think that having Stamkos on this list, I was he 19? on the top 20 list or he's close to the bottom uh no, he was, was yeah barzal was 19 i think he's 17 yeah i mean good to see him on this list hopefully he gets to bounce up but the future is bright and you know as we get towards the end of this episode which ends right now in, in a couple of seconds we're one more week away from that countdown to hockey which is weeks away but we're getting yep. closer and closer inching and obviously I mean, you can't we're can't so wait. excited. We just can't. We need it back. And I don't yep. care. Honestly, at the end of the day, fans or not, I just want the sport back. As much as I want to be there at the arena at NASA Coliseum for their for their last ever season there. It is going to be ever. They are not coming back. It's going to be officially their last year in UBS Arena. I can't wait. But we need this season to get underway as safe as possible. One bad lapse. And the whole thing had come tumbling down. Yeah. By the way, Crosby only thirty three, so he might have uh, some say in that top center spot too. We'll see if he could stay healthy. But another great episode, episode twenty five down the drain. Amazing that we've come twenty five episodes already. And next week we're gonna be back live, same time, Tuesday five p.m. So we expect to see everybody there. Everybody have a good night. We'll see you next week. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.